0: Hi, it's Matt Wee with BibleTruthProject.com, and today we have an exciting interview with Janet Willis. She is um, She's the author of a book called What on Earth is Heaven Like? Uh, thank you so much for agreeing to do this, Janet. I hope our, our viewers and listeners appreciate what the content is that we're about to hear about.
1: I appreciate this opportunity. Thank you, Matt.
0: So, what caught my attention uh, is, is I've been kind of studying along this line, and some of the people who've listened to some of the videos heard me alluding to the idea that, like, in the ancient world, for instance, um, the sacred mountains of antiquity were pyramids, etc. And I've been kind of studying along the same lines that, that what, what is the potential for New Jerusalem to actually be a mountain or the mountain of God, that sort of, uh, that sort of thing. And I I've been studying that for for probably three years something along that line, and um, drawing some conclusions, learning more about it. And I heard on a podcast by Chris White uh, that he got a hold of this book by by Janet, and he was impressed with some of the visuals which Janet herself made. She's an artist, and here she has spent. What is it? Close to a decade researching the subject of heaven, and then that all came about okay. after a a tragedy, a very very terrible tragedy that you experienced back oh what thirty years? Not quite, maybe twenty five years ago, something like that. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I guess tell us a little bit how you got onto the subject of heaven and and this whole uh, study, I guess.
1: Well, I was a full time mom uh my older three children were married and out of the home and I had six younger ones I was mm-hmm. homeschooling my wow. husband was a pastor in Chicago we had a small church and um loved being a mom um and uh 1994 which is about 27 years ago this November uh we had a horrific accident where we lost the younger six children mm-hmm. uh, and uh there was a lot of media attention and um it was just a, um, uh, I think the, the biggest thing for us was the um, anchor of the Word of God in our life. We had almost 20 years of, of solid Bible teaching before that, that um, was like a, a rock solid foundation to, um, to trust in God's sovereignty and in God's goodness. And... Um, I'm not saying that we sailed through this. It was a roller coaster of emotions, obviously, and sure. um, horrific. And there's no way I'd be sitting here s- sane without um, the grace of God and the word of God. Um, but uh, it, it gave me all of a sudden I had an empty nest, and um, my husband had a really great library. And um, slowly, I slowly I tried to, uh, as I'm reading my Bible, that was my normal habit anyway. Um, things about heaven started jumping off the page and I had a lot of questions mm. so the questions were uh, the, uh, causing me motivating me to delve into the subject of the New Jerusalem mm. and that's how it started so uh, probably I kept notes um, I had no intention of writing a book but I kept notes and um, kept an index of those notes and it able enabled me to uh Yeah, (laughs) enabled me to, um,
0: To uh, compile it and write it.
1: To compile it and I saw probably the most, uh, most, um, probably the three topics that was, was hitting me the most was size, shape, and timing of when the city would arrive. So I've seen, like you mentioned, probably the most interest in the shape. Uh, But all of it, as you start studying the different verses, each verse gives you information about all three of those, um, you know, uh, avenues. So it's all tied together. But the shape is probably the one that, catches people's interest, uh, the actual size of the New Jerusalem is, the, I think, the key. So anyway, we can delve into it and, um,
0: yeah.
1: and ask me questions or whatever.
0: So one of the things that I, when I first, okay, so let me go back 10 years. Uh, my first time I was in Israel was 10 years ago. And that really changed a lot of, about me as far as how I understood scripture, et cetera, because now I had a, a visual context, I guess, for scripture. And I realized how little I really knew about the biblical worldview uh, in some ways. I, I mean, I was a preacher's kid raised, in, you know, in the church and all that. I knew a lot about the Bible, but I just, that that context was a big deal. And then as I continued studying, etc., you know, ran across works by like Dr. Heiser and some of those who kind of embraced the supernatural worldview. And he brought the the, the, the piece of the puzzle, part of the piece of the puzzle, as far as understanding cosmic mountains and how that those were important in ancient um, cultures. And all of a sudden, it just kind of dawned on me that this is actually the biblical language for the mountain of God. So when we hear the term mountain of God, um, you know, uh, Mount Zion in the north, you uh, all of these different kind of languages uh, or, you know, verses, and there's many of them that kind of allude to it, that what we're probably looking at is a cosmic mountain. So just like, you know, Greek mythology, and, it's, you know, it's not something I know that much about, but for instance, the gods lived on Mount Olympus, right? And then you had uh, the earth, earth view, and then you had Hades or the underworld. And that that cosmology is how the, the Bible was understood by the biblical writers. They, they understood that God is on the heights in his mountain. And, and then, and, and a lot of people approach that kind of from more of a mythology standpoint. I don't really think about it as a literal thing, but kind of as I worked through that and understanding scripture morals and I realized, no, this is a literal thing. This is actually, um, as I understand it, this is, this is the mountain it's, it's hidden. Now I have a, personally have a theory and it might not be correct, but I personally have a theory that this mountain was created by God in Eden, and that the garden was was there because the Septuagint calls it uh, paradisios, which later Jesus uses paradisios to describe um, the location of where the where the uh, the thief on his one side would would be at, etc. And then Paul talks about third heaven also being in paradise or paradisios. So to me, it makes Somewhat sense that it could be the same location that when God divided uh, the world because of the fall, that He just hid Himself from us so that we can't see where He's at, but that He's always been at the same location. He's always been on His Cosmic Mountain, ruling the universe, etc. That's just a personal theory. But in the but when I saw that that language or imagery, you know, I'm thinking mountain mountain of God, Cosmic Mountain, and uh, you have this this picture right on the back. I don't know if I can, you know, I see this and I was just like, Whoa, (laughs) like there's somebody who also sees that concept, which I thought was, was pretty tremendous. So then I read the book and then you, I mean, what you've done is really amazing by pulling the prophets because the prophets write about this quite a bit. You've got Ezekiel writing about it. You have descriptions from a little bit from Zachariah, some of the others also mentioned, and you, you know, you put the puzzle pieces together to, and, and including revelation, because a lot of people looked at the revelation account and immediately assume the 1500 miles square, because just kind of the way it's written or not 1500 miles, 1500 stadia or however it's written there. Um, but kind of as a cube. And I kind of, I think most people probably just look at that and, look at that data and evidence and just kind of assume that whatever they're being told is correct rather than actually thinking about it. And if you really do think about it, a pyramid makes a lot of sense uh, because that was the pattern of the ancient world. So if you think about, yeah, go ahead.
1: Um, Ezekiel 28 um, specifically talks about uh, it's, it's the King of Tyre, but most Bible scholars agree that that's talking about Satan. And and Mm -hmm. it says that you are on the mountain of the holy mountain of God, and you were in Eden, it it couples the word mountain of God and Eden, all Mm -hmm. in the same uh, passage, two times mentioning mountain. And um, so I think there's biblical support for what you were saying. And that's, uh, but I think even stronger than not, maybe not stronger, but also adding to that is one of the early names of God is El Shaddai. And Mm -hmm. it's usually translated God Almighty. But more recent research, um, according to the theological wordbook of the Old Testament, El Shaddai could actually be translated God of the mountain. Mm -hmm. And when you start plugging the phrase God of the mountain in every time that the word El Shaddai is used in the Old Testament, it's pretty stunning. Uh Uh, Used 31 times in the book of Job. Uh, It's talked about um, that term is used by Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then again, when Moses is at the burning bush. God actually says to Moses, I was known to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob by the term El Shaddai. Hmm. And that's when he gives his, the the I am. But that term El Shaddai, uh, I think is very telling. And all of a sudden, not, not all of a sudden, but very slowly it dawned on me, God means what he says and his words are very precise. I think a lot of times we want to, um, even those who are trying to approach the Bible from a literal hermeneutic, we still tend to jump to an allegorical or symbolic, I think, a little bit too quickly. We have to be careful. Uh, maybe God actually means what he's saying. Yeah. <laughs> and then you come to, you come to uh, um, Psalm 48 uh, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain mm-hmm. of his holiness. And then you come to Hebrews chapter 12, and it says you're coming to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. So, and then it compares, in. in I'm maybe jumping ahead too fast here, but yeah, it actually man. Hebrews 12 is very critical because it compares Mount Zion to um, the city of the living God, the new, the heavenly Jerusalem. So it's one mountain comparing to another mountain. And, um, and then uh, I have a YouTube video that kind of gives an overview of my book. I don't know if you've seen that, but that's where I take those, that passage and show the transition between Mount Sinai and characteristics about that, that we know from the book of Exodus. And then, compare that to what Ezekiel is talking about. Um, let me, let me. I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, but let me go back into Ezekiel because at the very first part of chapter 40, chapter 40, verse two, he says, God took me into the land of Israel. I'm not quoting exactly right here. God took me into the land of Israel um, and uh, showed me a structure like a city. And that term structure, like a city, that phrase is very critical. In fact, even after I've already published the book, I've seen even more support to how critical that that phrase is. And then at the end of the very book of Ezekiel, that's what I just quoted was uh, chapter 40, verse two. But then at the very end of the book of Ezekiel, he starts giving detailed measurements and all kinds of details about this city chapter 40 to 48 has a huge section about the temple and all the d- dimensions of that future temple. And most people get caught up in all of that and forget to n- pay attention to the the reference to the city at the very end. So that the, the picture that you showed on the back of my book, that's based on Ezekiel chapter 48, where he says, the name of the city from that day shall be, the Lord is there. And it's really fascinating is, Ezekiel specifically gives measure- measurements of the base of that city and then says yep. there's three gates on each side named for the 12 tribes of Israel.
0: Yep.
1: Okay, all of us who are familiar with New Testament jump right away to Revelation yep. 21, and say, whoa, wait, wait a minute here. Um, in fact, in most Bibles will have a cross-reference there to re- Revelation comparing the, that phrase from um, that la- last part of the, the book of Ezekiel. So all of these are like puzzle pieces, like you said, that need to be connected. And um, uh, so size, shape, and timing all start to play a part and have to be um, solved and integrated to see how, how does this harmonize, Old and New Testament, all together.
0: 100%. It's one narrative, one story, Jesus in the middle. The so going back to see one of the things that kind of stood out to me in in John's account, I don't know if maybe have you thought about this or not, but he talks about the city. He likens it kind of to a bride being adorned, right? Yeah. Well, that that caught my attention, and the reason is because I've been around some you know Jewish culture stuff, and I've studied a lot of the culture stuff, but it interested me because I'm not saying I know this for fact, but it's it's a curiosity. But I'm just going to share a screen here. So one of the things that caught my attention is, well, back in those days, you know, we don't know exactly how they dressed. Okay, but in in today's world, the uh, the Yemenite Yemenites or the Yemeni Jews uh, have preserved a lot of uh, traditions. So the bridal garments or or headdress that they wear, um, it it is is generally kind of in this in this line. Okay. And what caught my attention is if this is similar to how it would have been, which a lot of people say the Yemenis preserved a lot of the traditions of the ancients. Uh, If you can imagine what John saw when he says that there is this, it's like a kind of like, I need to find the exact verse that we don't misquote it. (laughs) (laughs) Let me find it here real quick. Sorry. I should have got my Bible app running before. Prepared as a bride adorned.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So here, let's see if I can find it. That's good. <laughs> um, let see, I'm trying to find it here. More. So, New Jerusalem. I know it's in 21. I'm just trying. There it is. So verse two, and I saw the holy city of New Jerusalem descending down out of heaven from God, made ready like a bride adorned for her husband. Well, the thing that fascinated me with that statement is that, okay, so why is he using that language? Why is he using adorned? Obviously, there is a similarity in his mind to what he's seeing to what is represented in in how a bride is adorned, right? So we would immediately think, well, white and pure and, you know, lovely. But what if it had to do with you know the headdress, which is somewhat pyramidal, you know pyramidal and has sections to it, which is kind of interesting. So anyway, and (laughs) And jewels, oh, totally crusted with jewels, completely, which is again is the description that we have in the Bible. Now, tell us a little bit about your 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 discovery. I mean, Ezekiel's account has incredible detail that describes. the city, describes the allotment, describes the the division of the tribes, uh, and then also describes the temple. And you kind of, in your book, you talk about trying to like figure out the discrepancy between John's account and Ezekiel's and trying to figure out the the size difference. Walk us through that a little bit.
1: Well, the size um, is given in Ezekiel in um, actually throughout the chapter 40 to 48 there's two, two measurements, rods and cubits. And um, as Ezekiel's describing the temple, he's using both of these mostly cubits. And at the very end, when he starts to talk about the city, he doesn't give a unit of measurement. And if you are in a King James, it'll, I think it says measures, and I think it's in italics. New American standard uh, would say um, cubits, but have it in italics. Those are clues to let us know that there's no Hebrew word there. So we, it's up to us, it would be like me saying to you, I'm five seven. you know, I mean, five feet, seven inches. We, we, we all talk like that. So as Ezekiel is going through all these measurements and details, um, at the end, he doesn't bother to give us the unit of measurement. But um, some scholars believe that it's rods, not cubits. And that's been the puzzle piece I think that has puzzled so many because of that. Um, like for instance, in the new, new, uh, new international version, I think it says, cu- uh, it doesn't say cubits or rods, it just translates it to miles and says, it's a mile and a half on each side, the city is. Well, if you go back a few chapters and look at the temple measurement, the courtyard uh, the, the entire temple complex is a mile square which means the city is only a mile and a half in each side, that doesn't make sense. The city would be bigger than just the temple complex. So just logic right there, but there's actual verses in Ezekiel um, in uh, chapter 43 and specifics that uh, those who have studied it really in detail uh, have concluded that it has to mean rods. So that's a real key piece to the puzzle right there. So if it's rods, then you've got, how are we going to estimate what the size of the rod is? And I took the largest estimate of all the different commentators that I had studied. And it came out to be about 11 miles on each side, the, the length and the width of the city. Then let's jump to Revelation 21:16 when John is giving the size of the city he's talking about. Again, both cities are are mentioned that there's 12 uh, 12 gates, three on each side named for the 12 tribes of Israel. There's similarities that justify us comparing these two. So when you go to the Revelation passage 2116, it says 12,000 stadia in the Greek, which uh, again, many Bibles would translate into miles. Um, The estimate that I was using was uh, 1382, I believe, miles, that's the length on each side, length and width. But John gives us three measurements. So all of a sudden, he says, 12,000 stadia, the length, the width and height are equal. So that phrase follows. So if we if we're just looking simply at the context of what's there, we have all, and me included, all assumed that that was a linear measurement. But it's possible because John gave us three dimensions that he was talking about the total of the three mm-hmm. and if it's a total then we're going length width height length times width times height which would be the 12,000 stadia um, and anyway it, it, it comes out to be the same almost the same as um, Ezekiel's measurements so now all of a sudden we have this correlation that's whoa that puts everything in perspective and Suddenly, all these verses throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testament, things started falling in place, and it was really exciting. It was almost, when, I, when the thought came to me, did John intend that to be a total? I fought it at first, frankly. Mentally, I, I dug into my Bible, I prayed about it, and, I, um, and there were verse, verse after verse was coming back to me saying, that's it, that's it, it fits, it fits. So I, I could go on. You, you, I get excited about it. You can tell. So
0: anyway, no, the,
1: the size think, issue was, it was a major, major part of the whole. Well,
0: puzzle. to me, that's a, it's a huge deal because it kind of, you know, for, for centuries or even, even millennia for that matter, you know, people have kind of adapted the platonic view of heaven, which is kind of the ethereal, non-material, non-relatable existence. And I'm sure it's amazing. It's a beyond comprehension, but you know, when all of a sudden you have uh, evidence that connects what John saw that matching what the old testament Testament uh, prophets predicted, um, now we're talking about tangible. We're talking about material. We're talking about something that we can relate to, which I think is, Hugely important for for believers. I mean, I guess in the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. We'll find out at some point yeah. exactly how it all works. But the anticipation, you know, that was a huge driver for the prophets. You know, they saw the city and they, you know, they saw what was coming and they were excited and they were, you know, it. And and not only that, I mean, we go all the way back to Abraham and he was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. I look at that language and like, well, what was he, if, if that's what he was doing, what was he doing in Canaan? You know, you know, why did he leave Ur and come into that region? And, you know, it's because I believe personally that the mountain existed from the beginning uh, that God um, built that mountain as the last act of creation. So if you look at in Genesis, for instance, you have the creation of the world and he creates Adam, then he creates the garden the garden is actually created. After he creates Adam. So the last thing he did was build his headquarters, is how I would understand it. So if this is the case, I like where you put that. Yeah. Well, if this is the case, this has been there all along. Yeah. And 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 potentially, okay, hypothetically. If not, it's but whatever. You know, we understand it could be separated and spiritual dimension issue, that sort of thing. But from a standpoint of, you know, this belongs together. You know, mm-hmm. God's mountain, God's realm. Is, is was designed to be connected to this realm and that God ultimately wants to bring it back together. Mm-hmm. And which is the promise that we have for the eternal state that we know that, that he will bring it back together, but he first, first has to deal with the rebels.
1: <laughs> well, the other thing is Adam and Eve were not permitted to go back because of the cherubim at the, yep. at the entrance. So yep. that implies that there was still, um, the exterior was still visible yep. to them and, yep. and uh, no, mo- no longer accessible, but that they would know what the outside of, of the holy mountain of God would be like. So then you've got the verses you were talking about about Abraham. I think my, my theory is that the, um, based on other scriptures that we're not even delving into, but that the, holy mountain of God was visible to the antediluvian world. Mm-hmm. So True. then, when the flood came, God would have, now we have no scriptural base to say this, but that God would probably take that city and literally rip it out of the, you know, take it off the earth and uh, bring the flood and huge topographical changes occurred after the flood.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. But the, I, I bring in the verses, I'm jumping a little bit, but I'm bringing in the verses of uh, Genesis when Jacob saw a ladder
0: uh, Yeah,
1: and he said, yeah. this is none other than the gate of heaven. And, and angels were ascending and descending on this heavenly vision that he saw. And he said, this is none other than the gate of heaven. And he called it Bethel and uh, if, if my measurements are all correct, that position on the earth is matches up with where the Ezekiel, where the uh, heavenly Jerusalem will come back down. So based on Ezekiel, based on Zechariah, best measurements given in the book of Ze- Zechariah 2. So there's a lot involved here, and we're probably just kind of Hopefully, whetting people's
0: appetite to all long. you can do.
1: Look at some of these places. But um, I do have a scripture index at the back of my book. Uh, my first, first version, first uh, edition of the book came out. I didn't have a scriptural index. That's really key because people have to be able to check, cross check yep. my work, and, and see for themselves uh, what's the actual what God is actually trying to communicate to us. Let me mention one more thing that um, that phrase that Ezekiel saw a structure like a city. In John chapter 14, a passage that's often quoted, in my father's house are many mansions. Jesus was saying that to his disciples, knowing that not only he was about to suffer, but that they were going to face suffering. And he gave them that long view, that hope. But he was very precise, I think, in the words that he used. He said, in my father's house are many dwelling places. Right. Um, and he's talking about a single structure that has many dwelling places. That, lo, well, hello, that's like a city. <laughs> and so yeah. that matches what Ezekiel said, a structure like a city. And John is saying, or Jesus was saying, um, my father's house, many dwelling places. So the parallel there between the two uh, shouldn't be missed. That's that's key. And I think that then it's interesting, Jesus is talking about, now we're going to deal with another, I'm jumping into another part of it, but Jesus is saying, um, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And the where and the there our place names referring back to his father's house, and when we really take a careful look at that John fourteen passage, Jesus is saying when he comes back, he's bringing his father's house with him, hmm. and we're going to be there with him. And um, and then you match it up with Ezekiel, and it's going to be here on earth, and a real place. Eleven miles high. Um, took me a while to try to comprehend that, and I did some study and. When you're in a commercial, if, if you're flying in a commercial jet, they're usually around 30 to 36,000 feet, which is about halfway up to the pinnacle yep. of this, hope. Yep. hopefully, if I got it right, this pyramidal city. And yep. um, then we start to comprehend, whoa, we're talking, this is still huge. It's not 1,500 miles up into the sky, but it's 11 miles up into the sky. Anyway, I'm jumping around. But so the timing... The size and the shape are all intertwined with so many passages, and, and it's a fascinating treasure hunt, really.
0: Well, hundred, Yeah, 100%. You know, some of the things that I remember uh, that, you know, just over the years, experiences, etc., one of the things I I remember thinking about a lot of times I've been sitting up on the Mount of Olives, looking out over, but, you know, Jesus, when he ascended, he came up on the Mount of Olives towards the backside and he ascended up into the clouds Mm -hmm. straight up. Right. And the whole he'll come again as, as he, he left. And then there's the whole Ezekiel seeing the glory of God. I think it was Ezekiel. Yeah, leaving, sorry, the glory of God leaving up, going up to the Mount of Olives straight up. And then you have Stephen, and I know you point this out too, um, but Stephen, as as he's there, has sees up into and sees it, he sees the city, and he sees Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. So there's the, all of this visual, um, and how'd you say it? I guess evidence at, at, that right in their view, they're, they're able to see it just from a, dimensional rift, I guess you could say they can see it's right there. And I think, you know, it goes back to David. David sees the angel suspended from heaven and earth, you know, and then you went back to Jacob, Jacob, the whole vision that he has, you know, it says this is none other than the gate of heaven, but he named the place house of God, Bethel, Yeah. you know, and so Obviously, he didn't. He didn't just see a ladder. I, I personally think he was trying to describe the shape of it. That it's kind of like a steps, and he saw the angels coming up and down. But to me, I mean, ladder does describe it. But he calls the ladder house of God, mm-hmm. or in the location. Um, it's just a lot of amazing mm-hmm. connections there.
1: One thing that we haven't you you, you alluded to, but we haven't uh, talked about a lot, is, is the fact that there's all these. Pyramidal structures all over the world, and yep. the more I study that, I didn't realize how many there are. Just literally hundreds of thousands, it's not all huge, but different sizes. Yep. Uh, and the ancient people, um, after the flood, still had a you know verbal passing on the information of hey, there was this this huge structure, and we don't see it now, you know, after the flood, but that stayed in their memory and in their tradition and uh, it had to be a pretty strong motivation when you think about the um, even the writings in the egyptian tombs uh, in the pyramids and stuff they uh, they equated this with god's dwelling place or um, deity and eternity it all of course without scripture the ancient people's people groups were getting things twisted, but yep, they still very had, much so. they still had the
0: yep.
1: nugget of they that.
0: understood the basic cosmology the basic, yeah. um you know in their own convoluted twisted ways, but they all generally said a similar uh a similar truth, and that is God is in the mountain god is god is in the heights or he is you know high in elevation um, and and that whole concept, but that's exciting stuff. Um, it's a, it's probably a big shift for some people to think about heaven in an earthly term, because we think of it so much in the way that we've, I mean, at least I grew up thinking, you know, or being taught it that it's some kind of paradise outside the universe, right? Like it's out of our understanding at all. But when you look at scripture, it actually gives us evidence for a city that is tangible, makes sense. Uh, is literal and is coming here, which for a lot of people is kind of a shift in thinking that we will be living on earth, a restored earth. Um, and of course the current order of things gone away. I think the damage that the flood did will be reversed and that God will reverse. I, I mean, some of the things I'm studying right now is even the, the relation to the underworld. And, and you know, we still, we, we just live with it, but the flood was judgment and a majority of that water ended up in the oceans that we have today. Um, You know, some land appeared, but I think the ancient world had a lot more land than what we have nowadays, but, but everything got messed up. And so God's recreation of things uh, is going to restore the world into a better than Edenic state. Even though Eden was good, this will be even better. And it's on this uh, that we, that we put our hope. This is, this is where we put our, put our faith. I had, I, I didn't um, have an experience exactly like you. We did lose two, two uh, kids to miscarriage mm-hmm. and uh, it's different than, than obviously when they're born. But again, when everybody's lost people, we all have, you know, parents, grandparents, cousins, that sort of I mean, siblings, etc. that sort of thing happened. And there's that question, where are they? Right. Mm-hmm. And everybody tries to answer it, and the, the, the harshest materialistic approach is, well, we're just a, a clump of cells, and there's no meaning to any of it. But truly, when you look at what this represents, what, what, you know, I can get it to stay there, what on earth is heaven like? We realize that God is going to bring this all back together, fix it all. It's going to take death, reverse death. Everything that died will come back to life. He'll judge it, he'll fix it, and that's the whole message of scripture. You know, that's really what it was all about. We just have to endure until it comes. But I think it gives tremendous hope to people who face adversity and difficult things because we all face stuff. I mean, your story is heart wrenching. I must have been, I mean, I can't even imagine. Um, but that's just. One of those things that we look at Scripture and it gives us answers that nobody else can, and that is, we know that God is going to reverse all this. Yep. I
1: think a passage that's often quoted: "I hath not seen nor ear heard yep. neither entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love Him." People don't; they stop there, but the rest right. is worse. Yep. But God Amen. has revealed it to us through the Spirit. Yep. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep deep things of God. And so um, I think there's a huge um, market of of, a huge number of books and even movies that have been done about people who died, went to heaven, came back, and had uh, experiences that they wanted to talk about. But the the really exciting thing is that there's actually a lot of information in the Bible, and if we take time to, to take a look at it. Um, it's a stronger assurance. Uh, And let me quote another verse. It says in, in Hebrews, uh, chapter 12, Jesus said, um, well, here, let me read it. It says, let's, let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now, that joy was, I'm sure, to be with us. That was his uh, main focus. But the passages just before that in Hebrews 11 and just after that in the rest of Hebrews 12 have references to that city. And I think that city is part of the picture of the joy because it's um, it's God's plan, like you said, all along. God's plan was to dwell with us permanently. But we had to be. Cleansed, sanctified, and, and um, Jesus took care of that for us.
0: Amen. Amen. Well, a couple minutes left. What, what else should we know about the good things that you've written in your book?
1: Um, well, we haven't talked much about timing. That's a whole. Yeah, other
0: let's do op- that. Yeah. The- well, we can we can talk about it in a few minutes. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> But I do deal with that um, very carefully from uh, a literal uh, hermeneutic looking at what the Bible actually says that um, Christ's kingdom is, well, let me put it this way. You know, we were taught to pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So we're not thinking up in the clouds forever sitting on a, cloud with a harp, <laughs> but it's a kingdom that's going to be here on earth. And d- according to Daniel, according to the angel Gabriel, what he said, um, Christ's kingdom is, is forever. Um, we're going to rule and reign for a thousand years in Revelation chapter 20. It talks about that. And, um, but the, the kingdom itself is a forever kingdom. God's permanent plan was to dwell with us the incredible graciousness of God. But the timing of that, when I'm talking about the book of Ezekiel, everybody pretty much realizes that's um, the millennial kingdom. Now there's probably, there's people that differ on that, but that's where I'm, what I'm talking about, that it's a a earthly kingdom and it's a permanent, God's permanent plan for that, for promise plan. (laughs)
0: Amen. Well, yeah, and I would, and I hold the same view. I mean, basically, the Lord comes back as the nations. I mean, Zechariah 12 and 14 both describe all nations coming together against Jerusalem. And um, you could, you could draw Gog, Magog uh, similarities there as well, even though Revelation does put that after a thousand years. It could be before and after. uh, You know, there's a lot of debate there. But, but anyway, you look at it, the Lord will come back to save. Um his people, which I believe is the Jewish people, we are, um, of course, also part of the, the picture as the saints who are um, with him. We're grafted uh, in. We're grafted we're, in. We're grafted in.
1: Yeah.
0: We're not the storyline, but we're with, We're in the story. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and what's neat about the New Jerusalem is it says the 12 tribes, the gates are named for the 12 yep. tribes of Israel, but the different levels or foundations. Um are, have the names of the apostles yep. so in a way that's i think a very neat picture for us as gentiles to say we're incorporated this is our home base yep. we're going to be out and about ruling reigning reigning with christ throughout the earth but this is our home base our home yep. we're we're grafted in with with the jewish yep god's god's chosen people
0: yep very good um trying to think if there's anything else. I think of course people need to buy it and they can, they can get this on. I think, I think I bought it on Amazon. Um, But you have a website as well. You have some YouTube videos that are extremely interesting for people to see the visuals that I think are uh, amazing. Um, They really help a sense of scale and size and um, some really, really neat things like that. So give us some more information about where they can find the book, et cetera, um, some of that stuff that you've worked on.
1: Okay. I, I will say, first and foremost, that I, I don't pretend to know for sure what the New Jerusalem looks like. These are yep. just biblically-based possibilities, but the, there's a video, a seven-minute video preview that uh, on YouTube under the same title, What on Earth is Heaven Like, um, that gives you a quick overview of some of the things we've talked about today, and, uh, and then the book is available on Amazon, both in print. Uh, and in black and white in print, and then in Kindle in full color. I also have a children's book called God's Got a House and It's Coming to Earth. And that's uh, a a quick, simpler overview of some of the things we've talked about. And there's a video for that, too. Um, I have a number of different videos that um, you can kind of take a look at and see what you think. But... um, Anyway I, I just appreciate this opportunity to be able to talk about a topic that I'm passionate about
0: <laughs> yeah well thank you so much for for doing it uh, an absolute treasure for us to hear uh, somebody who spent you know has been through so much and and has spent the time to to understand the subject better that I think all of us you know it, it interests all of us um, and obviously one way or the other we will' we'll find out exactly how it is but it's absolutely. Amazing. So thank you so much for for doing this. Um, We appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Matthew. Okay.